In this compilation episode about skills, not knowledge, we hear the views from past guests Rebecca Tier, Nicholas Weaver, Paul Dwyer, and George Davidson. What future skills do you believe that students should have when leaving badminton? I think this is the time for skills. It's never been more about skills. We all know we've got to get them over the lines, get them into the next institution. They've got to get those grades. But uncertain, a very fast pace of change living is so vital. And I think one of the things when I was studying entrepreneurship recently is I looked at the skills of the entrepreneurial mindset. And there are so many of those which are really deeply valuable for so many areas of life. I mean, communication is absolutely key as an entrepreneur. You can have the most amazing idea. But if you can't tell that story, if you can't sell it to the right audience at the right time, it's not going to get any traction. You're not going to get the funding. You're not going to get the team together to help you build it. You're not going to get the sales. And that brings me on to teamwork. There's so few things in life that you succeed as an individual. There really are. I mean, here at Badminton, I you know, live and die on my team. My team are amazing. We naturally have different skills. And by having a team, you bring together a complement of skills. And also, you have people to sense check you, you know, and to push against your ideas and bring you background you in reality. So teamwork, I think, is just invaluable. One of the skills that I really looked at a lot on my entrepreneurship course, and which I'm quite a passionate advocate for, is just that willingness to iterate. I think what's really interesting about successful entrepreneurs is they don't sort of stumble at the first hurdle and say, oh, that didn't work, fail, give up. They say, okay, well, what went well? What can I take forward? And what did I need to improve? Give me the honest feedback. Give me the honest feedback. And I think if we can take that willingness to absorb feedback into the education system and turn away from, oh, I got a B, I got a C, I got 70%, I got so much wrong, into, okay, I've got 70%, that's nailed. What do I need to do to get the 30% over the line? If we can take that mindset and instill it in the really young and like build it up through our schools. That type of willingness to develop and constantly learn is what we all need in our life. I love it. I, th- I think iterative skills, yeah, absolutely. You know, with my, with my four kids, you know, my wife and I have always agreed when we started having children that we just want them to be happy and confident. doesn't matter. And it's why they're at four different schools, because we've had to choose the right school for the right child. And actually, we're not a great believer of the academic endpoint, because actually, it's just a conveyor belt that you have to be on because you have no other constructs to work within to then go on to higher education. Then higher education in itself is being pulled apart because corporations and employers are going, Look, actually, we just don't need it. I care about you. Show me what you can do. I don't care about your, your three A's or your three A stars. Show me about you. Critical thinking, creativity, problem solving. You talked about teamwork, culture. And it sounds like at Badminton, you've created a really great environment and a culture for being an entrepreneur and trying these new things. How's that gone down? I think it's fantastic. I ran an entrepreneurial mindset skill class for year six last year, and they loved it. And year seven, we're absolutely biting my hand off. We've got several of them that have applied to our student initiative fund for startup funding for their businesses. And they're in year seven, eight, and nine at the moment. At the end of last year, we're absolutely delighted to hear that Two of our teams placed in the Peter Jones Tycoon competition, and one of them came first for the whole country. And it was like, way. Wow. It's just that amazing spirit. And in fact, they're taking their company on. Um, They were in year 11 last year, and they're still building and growing that company, having won that. I'm so proud of them. I mean, to have done that before you leave school just blows my mind that they're so able and willing and open, and they get it. I think it's really inspiring for the children in the school to see. And I think it's changing the dynamic of the school, definitely towards 
I mean, we've always been a very hands-on school. There's more than just the grades. We're not sort of trophy gatherers. It's about doing. And I think we see that in our science outreach where we're going to festivals. Well, not this year, but in previous years, we've been um, to Czechoslovakia, all across England, you know, in sort of crazy summer music festivals and things, demonstrating um, cold physics and things. I think the girls here really believe in doing. And I think the more we can get them doing, the more they have something really useful to take out into the world and, and a real perspective on what it's like to deliver something, not just deliver a piece of work to a deadline, but to work as a team to meet an objective, take it to market effectively or take it to an audience and be proud of it and, and stand by it. I think that's just such a great base to go into the world with, knowing, knowing how to do that. The destination is always is sometimes the problem because people are focused on an end point and forget to enjoy the dance. And um, part of life is you've got to enjoy the dance, you've got to listen to the music and enjoy the music and hope it never ends. And actually the destination is just, you know, you hope it actually you never get there because you're part of this exciting journey. But it's very difficult to instill that in an education where they are still looking for a destination. And I know that I've got uh, my daughter, my eldest is in year 13. So, you know, I'm literally this morning have been going through her final bits of her personal statement. And obviously any of my amends are just not appropriate. You know, I've left it too late. I'm, I'm in a rush. But it's geared towards five university choices on a form, on a destination, next summer, exams. And I just sometimes feel that I just wish she would have more time and fun to enjoy this journey rather than being caught up in this process. But maybe with heads like you and the other heads I'm going to be speaking to during the series, we can make that change because I'm a passionate advocate and driver of the future school thinking, trying to do things differently to empower skills to empower the individual as well. So we'll see how that goes. There are sixth form colleges that do kind of 12-month cramming sessions, which kind of almost prove the point that you can, you know, cram enough time in and learn it and be able to kind of sit exams and get a grade you need to. But you're talking something more than that, you know, talking about problem solving, creativity, critical thinking. These are things that the World Economic Forum said in 2020 were the top three skills that employers wanted. So how do we balance that out? So there's the almost the rigidity of what A-levels are, but then you've got to adapt your own educational methods to ensure the students you have do have those skills to go beyond knowledge, which they get in their devices. And access to and then learn the skills to mine it and solve real life problems. Yeah, I mean, as I said, you can have two people who have the same grade who are very differently trained. They can come out with the same grade. But I don't think that's necessarily the problem of A-levels. It possibly is a problem for UK education. You know, when we value so much the outcome by grade, it tends to drive behavior towards let's do everything we can just to get the grade which then can mean that you lose sight of the bigger picture of education. But if you keep the bigger picture of education in mind, we want to educate our, our youngsters to be brilliant people, critical thinkers, all of those things. And they do that, they can get good grades as well. And so it's that mindset thing. But I don't think it's possible we could reform the curriculum, we could reform the A-level or whatever to make it more prone to promoting that. I don't think we're ready for it yet. But I wouldn't be averse to people being able to take in devices to be able to search up knowledge into exams in the future so that it's the value you add by thinking that is the most important thing. 
and I taught physics for a long time and I absolutely flipped my thoughts. I thought when I started teaching, I was idealistic and everyone should learn the equations all the time. But then I thought back to my A-level, we had a formula sheet and actually I knew all the equations because I never misremembered them because they were on the formula sheet. So I just used them and got familiar with them so that I sort of took them in anyway. So people say, we well, shouldn't give everyone all the formulae because then they'll never learn them. In fact, by giving everyone all the formulae, they're more likely to learn them and internalize them than if you make them learn them and some people fall at the first hurdle. It's quite a subtle point, but actually if you just want people to do the thinking, you can separate that a little bit from the remembering and then the remembering starts to follow anyway. You talk to anybody who's an expert in the field, they probably all have reference books that they can refer to, but they stop doing so when they get really practiced. It's a very interesting point. So we're, we're kind of going to segue into sort of life skills because the future of work and even the current business world, everyone uses a device. So these are there, accessible. So they're still life skills, having it there so I'm not distracted by it, that I can go and find the information, be able to problem solve and find it because you want the people to use that. And I completely agree. So you started focusing on teaching life skills rather than subjects with the sit form students participating in a program that you mentioned earlier called The Edge. And what is this? How long have you been doing it? And just tell me a bit more about it. Well, we've always had a life skills program, which is, became life skills a few years ago from just it was the PSHE program. And then we decided that actually we needed to enhance it. It turned into life skills. So there's things that you have to teach quite rightly so in PSHE, as you go through things about health, about drugs, sex and relationships, education, all of those important things. But there's other things that people need to start understanding financial things, the, the health education that you need. Actually, well, you know, in our sixth form, in the edge, we called it the edge in the sixth form, because we think that that course is really important. And it gives our students the edge when they go on to their next stage of education. So, for example, the health elements, you know, they go away on this week-long course in Devon at the end of year 12. And part of that is learning first aid situations. But for situations you might encounter at university, you're at a party and there's someone unconscious. You're on holiday with some friends by the pool and, you know, perhaps one of your drinks has been unattended and then the person's feeling a bit dodgy. What do you do? You know, these are contemporary issues that youngsters need to be trained in. We talk a little bit about personal finance. We talk about self-defense, being in threatening situations and responses which can be helpful to you to avoid being in a, you know, a danger turning into a life-threatening situation. We also look at university finances, real practical skills. One of our parents said, I could not believe it. We were on the route to our summer holiday and had a puncture. And my daughter got the spare tire out and changed the wheel at the side of the road. I just could not believe it. And she said, well, we were told how to do it in Devon. so." you know, here we go. That's a great story. Some of those mundane things can also give you a real confidence in life as well. To hear that being played back was a real proud moment for me that actually we got these youngsters who were saying, I'm not phased by this new situation I'm finding myself in. I've got some things in the locker which I can fall back on. Cubs and brownies used to be the, the skill gap add-ons that we had when we were at, at school. And now it very much is, you know, you need to learn these things as part of being at school. And they're so important to be able to do. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. 
If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. And how do you map kind of these next generation skills as a school leader? Is there some think tank you're part of? Do you model yourself on the employers and other companies are saying, look, this is what the world is going to need. And then do you start to bring that into your own school and go, look, these are the next generational skills we're going to need to start to embed in school? I don't think anybody knows what the next gen skills are. They're going to change. And the other thing um, that you have to realize is that our kids now, basically all of them, are not just 21st century people. They're 22nd century people. They're going to live into the 22nd century. So we have no idea what the key skills are going to be. Pretty comfortable saying our next gen skills are that there are things you need to know, right? There's a salient amount of information that needs to be passed on, right? And you don't have to discover that. You have to be literate. You have to be numerate. You have to be scientifically literate. All of those things. We know that. At the same time, people who are going to be successful in the next generation are going to be people who can work collaboratively over difference to generate new products, new concepts, new ideas. So collaboration skills are a next-gen skill. You know, not every school teaches that. You know, we believe in collaborative work and other schools believe in competitive, that it's about individual achievement and competition. We believe in a constructivist collaborative view because we think that's something you have to do. You have to start learning that at the age of four. You can't learn that at the age of 24, right? If your school place is not one where you share with each other in order to solve a common problem, then you're not going to be ready to do that when you get out of school. You have to be able to work over difference, right? The world is full of different people. If you're not comfortable working with people who are different from you, then you're not going to be successful. That's not going to happen. And creative and generative, right? So you have to be at the author of the solution, not the receptor of the algorithm, right? That's what we're talking about in third grade math, right? The kids have to be problem solvers. And so we're doing more and more problem-based learning, whether that's Young kids or, you know, we don't do AP exams. They're mediocre. They limit the ability to do that. What we call AT bio is around identifying a problem, advanced topics, and figuring out what the solution to that problem will be as a group and using available technologies to do that. If we put them in AP bio, they're just going to learn a set of facts that's not going to prepare them to be creative and generative. It's the way in which you teach, the way in which you build on it, that you're going to do those skills. As long as you have those skills, the world changes. You're going to work with other people to respond to that change. You're put into a different situation with different kinds of people. You're comfortable with that. Um, You're going to be able to respond. If you're always looking for the solution in a creative way, and you're not saying, well, we've always done it this way, you're going to be more successful. And that's at the heart of what we think are next generation skills. So why is there a hierarchy of subjects in the system rather than a hierarchy of skills? It's because subjects are easier to define. You know, if if we say, look, you know, we want to teach teamwork, we want to teach collaboration, we want to teach resilience. Even if you agree with that as a principle of of what education should be based around, starting to put that into the reality of, okay, what does that look like in a classroom setting? What does that mean in terms of the person facilitating that lesson, whether you, you know, the teacher of a subject or, or what those kind of things look like? So I think there's always that element of ambiguity that, you know, teaching skills has. And I think that there's also... Sometimes, and I, I felt this, I mean, Twitter's a fascinating place in so many ways in this debate, but 
I think people see it too much as a dichotomy between the two. You know, you cannot, you know, if you teach history well, my subjects, that absolutely can bring out aspects of teamwork, that can bring out aspects of, of collaboration and, and all of those kind of skills that we want to develop in. I think the hierarchy of subjects is obviously historical in itself. You know, this is stood the test of time in many people's eyes. And so therefore attracts, you know, attracts because it has worked. And so why seek to change it now? I think part of the dynamic is, you know, it's, it's not the hierarchy of subjects, it's the hierarchy of knowledge that I think we still need to have a conversation about, actually. When I was at university, I particularly focused on medieval history and 19th century American history. And I'm a history teacher, so I have been employed because of my skills in history to some degree. But there are very few jobs that I'm going to go to when people are saying, well, I want you specifically because your knowledge of the 12th century papal reform movement. That's something that I've enjoyed building and has happened to build skills in me. And I think where we still have a degree of, dare I say, snobbery, or there's still a conversation for us to have around hierarchy of knowledge is they'll the skills I built looking at the papacy in the 12th century, you could adequately build in the same way, looking at the, I don't know, the filmography of Francis Ford Coppola, you know, and actually saying, well, I'm still taking information and synthesizing it. I am trying to come to a, a conclusion based on evidence. And so does the subject matter itself, you know, actually matter as much as we sometimes say? Now, that is arguably too glib a point in that, it's important to have the stories of the past. It's important to have, you know, cultural capital, as, as people have started to call it now. Yes, but again, we still get mixed up on what that capital is. You know, what is it that we value as knowledge and, and why do we value other than just because we do and because we always have? And that's where I think the conversation is missing. So it's not skills versus of subjects. It's actually the kind of knowledge that we want to deliver and, and what we value as important and why. The skills you're looking for, I mean, creativity, problem solving, critical thinking often come in the top five of skills that the World Economic Forum put out there in their five-year predictions, having spoken to industry. None of that says, you know, you, you need to learn about, you know, 19th century history. Or you need to learn about the Tudors down at year five. These are knowledge-based things that are of the past. Surely we should be building cross-curriculum skills, problem solving. Imagine them going and solving a real-world problem. I think even with history, can't you? almost predict the future as part of history. Again, I've not even gone down this route before, but I'm just thinking about what you're saying about you, you learn about the past and how that maybe influences what the future, but there's a huge amount of change going on right now. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.